what he has done to you all. But it felt genuine. What do we have to do? Just respect the temple. And that's all? Yes. We can negotiate the rest. We could go outside without fear. We could celebrate festivals and holy days. Why do we need a temple? Of course we want to. Feel safe, I don't dispute that, but... Now that Jesus has risen, why bother to go there? He is here. In us, with us. So why? So the temple is... Part of the old law which has now been completed. We are still Jews, so the temple is an important part of our lives. We have a message to preach, James. But it has nothing to do with that pile of stones. You would just abandon it. I just want to go out and spread the word of Christ. The temple is no longer relevant. It's not that difficult to understand. I must be stupid then. Simon, we have this man, this stranger, who one minute wants us all dead. All this again, Peter. And then somehow gets released by the high priest without a scratch on him. Now I don't know what he's doing. No, you don't, so you should be quiet until you do. I can't believe any of you trust him. Simon. No. Simon. That's right. There's a... A preview scene from tonight's version of A.D. We've been following it here and uh, talking about the the true biblical uh, background for what you're seeing in in the TV uh, episodes and the the drama that's there. And uh, that particular scene is not referred to anywhere in Scripture. It seems as we go farther along in the series, there seems to be a bit more uh, poetic license being taken, I guess, with the... With the uh, biblical um, story. But they're trying to stay true to what could have happened. So there's an extra biblical, historical, fictional scene. I guess we could call it. Um, but but as, as you saw that scene, uh, many names, big names in church history, in Bible history, kind of jump out at you. There's, there's first of all Simon the Zealot. Now he figures very big into that particular scene. The one who wants to defend the temple, the one that's suspicious of Saul. We don't know that Simon the Zealot said any of that. In fact, according to the Bible, we don't know anything that Simon the Zealot ever said. Not, a partic- not one word is recorded from that particular disciple, but it makes for good drama. You know, the tension must have been there. As there must have been tension amongst all the disciples as they followed after Jesus. How is it that Simon the Zealot, who previously the week before, had he come across, Levi the tax collector would have taken him out for his nationalistic passions, now walks with him as a brother following Jesus. This is an amazing thing. There's there's certainly drama and tension there. And, And... what conversations between Levi, the tax collector, and Simon the Zealot, those would have been very interesting to have sat in on. But, but we, don't, we don't have any of those. But we do know that they became brothers, fiercely loyal to one another out of their common love for Christ. There's James. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, not the apostle, but the brother of Jesus, who then in church history becomes the key leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's in that scene. In fact, he's the one that comes in in the kind of uh, making peace position of getting along with the authorities there in Jerusalem if they'll only um, honor 
the temple. We don't know of that conversation, but we know James was the leader of the church. We saw Peter. We, we saw Saul. Fiery, committed Saul. Soon to be known as Paul. His influence would eclipse those of everyone in the room. But, but there was one there shown only briefly. That had he not been a part of that band, had he not served God in his calling, Saul may have never been. Peter certainly would have never have become the, the leader that he was perhaps in Jerusalem without this disciple's encouragement. His name was Joseph. Joseph of Cyprus. But the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas. Bar-Nabas. Bar. Bar-Jonah, that means the son of Bar. Son of encouragement. What a nickname. Barnabas. Just like Pee Wee Reese was to Jackie Robinson on that field that day as before all those Mets fans, so Barnabas became to so many who influenced the church even far beyond Barnabas's scope or memory. But Barnabas is no insignificant player. He's mentioned over 33 times in the New Testament, more even than many of the other apostles. In Acts 9.27, Saul has come back to Jerusalem and the disciples, as you felt the scene in that tension, are not all convinced that Saul is for real. After all, he was just persecuting and killing and rounding up Christians and sending them off to prison. Maybe this is all just a ruse. You know, kind of a Trojan horse approach. He's going to find out who all the Christians are, where they habitat, and then uh, drop the snare. There's some that aren't really sure that he's completely converted, that this is authentic. But, despite their indecision, verse 27, but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him the, Saul to the apostles and described to them how he had been, how he had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus and how he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. In fact, Saul goes on, encouraged by Barnabas to speak so boldly then in Jerusalem that those that were formerly his friends decide that he is now their most threatening foe and they decide to kill Saul. Maybe that helped convince the apostles. But Saul was scurried out of town, first to Caesarea and then back home to Tarsus, his hometown. And according to Saul's words in Galatians, he was in Tarsus for 14 silent years. We don't know what happened there. Can you imagine that? The apostle of the Western church sidelined for 14 years. Not heard of. And maybe he was still a Christian witness, but a silent one there in, in Tarsus, so far as we know, until, until there was a rash of Christians that came up in this city called uh, Antioch, out by the sea, and, and uh, uh, 
somebody needed to encourage them. And so the brothers down in Jerusalem said, well, we know who to send. The son of encouragement. Who better? Barnabas. So they send Barnabas up to Antioch. But Barnabas was great about always asking the who question. Not just what does the Lord want done and getting busy with it. But the who question. What does the Lord want done? And who would be the best possible person to help me get that done? Hmm. Who, who, who brought Saul out of mothballs in Tarsus? Who was it that went and got him and brought him to Antioch? Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager. He was the Pee Wee Reese of the early church. He was the one standing aside others and, and giving them strength, credibility, encouragement that they might do all that God had called them to over and over again. Bruce Larson tells of, in his book, Wind and Fire, um, some interesting points about sandhill cranes. Maybe you know about this. They're, they're, they're some of those birds that fly in formation. And because they fly in formation, they can fly much farther than any bird could, taking that turbulence on alone. They, they break through the wind for one another and create a, a, a draft current that the other birds can follow along in. Uh, Sand cranes have been known to migrate across entire continents in, in a flight. But migraines have three things that set them apart. Number one, they cho- choose leaders that can handle the turbulence and not go into despair. They pick someone else to get up in front and, 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 and to lead and to lead well. They rotate leadership because everyone who's out in front occasionally gets tired and needs a time of rest. They rotate into those places of leadership, taking on uh, that turbulence. They take on the turbulence, they rotate the leadership, but each bird in the formation, even when they're not in the lead, maybe especially when they're not in the lead, never stop honking. You'll hear them come over. Can I tell you, I think that's what the church ought to sound like. Can you try it with me? Just try it with me, right? Uh-huh. Very good. Y'all are good at that. Those, those birds in the formation are honking their encouragement to that, to that one out in front, doing the lion's share of the work at that particular moment. But it always rotates. They always find one that's ready to take on the turbulence to go out in front. And everyone encourages them as they go along because they can fly far farther together than they ever could alone. The more the turbulence of this world blows against us, the more vital our mutual encouragement becomes as believers. Are are you aware that in this world it's getting tougher to be a Christian rather than easier? Anybody aware of that? Anybody felt those, those counter winds and, and that turbulence? Perhaps now more than ever, it's important for us to hear the call to be a Barnabas, to be encouragers of one another's. Without Barnabases around us, without those encouragers, unless we choose to be an encourager to one another, what happens? Well, without them, Sandhill cranes crashed, Jackie Robinson's quit. Saul's remain sidelined. And John Marks never recover. 
Gospels may not have been written had it not been for a Barnabas. To be a Barnabas means that we're people who are generous, if we're like that first Barnabas. Are you aware of his story? It starts in Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. For there there was not a needy person among them, talking about the church. How's that for a description? Wouldn't that be cool? For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and, and they would be distributed to each as each had need. And Joseph... A Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. If you want to be an encourager, one way that Barnabas did that was simply financial. There are so many times that the vision of what God calls to do is held back until the provision comes alongside it. There's perhaps nothing more discouraging to a willing servant heart than not having the means to do what you've been called to do. And so often, even though we might not go to Belize, we can send others to Belize with their help. Our missions banquet several months ago, or in May, uh, is helping to do the work of ministry in Belize as we send these representatives down there. What an encouragement, not just to be called to go to Belize, but to know a whole church stands behind you, not just financially, but prayerfully around the clock as you're there, trusting the Lord to do through you what you feel so inadequate to do on your own. Barnabases. How often would ministry never happen if it weren't for them? Elias, just a couple of weeks ago, as I explained the calling that I sensed this October to go to uh, Nepal and train pastors from Pakistan at that safe distance away from where we'd likely get our heads cut off, uh, I, I appreciate st- uh, strategic thinking here, you know is what I'm saying. And uh, at the end of that service, I thought everybody heard over my mic, but, but they didn't. Elias, our drummer, came forward and uh, he had $50 for one of those uh, pastors to pay his way from Pakistan. That's all it cost to, to get to Nepal for that training. And I thought, as he came forward, he said, the early church, when they knew there was a need, brought what they could and laid it at the apostles' feet that the need might be met. And that's why I've come. And, and though I don't think anyone heard what he had to say, ten others that morning before you left did the same thing. Barnabas. Isn't that great? Barnabases. Barnabases are provisionaries. One of the roles of a father, I, I learned, was to be a provider. Uh, and uh, Stu Weber helped me understand that being a provider is not just being the money winner, being a provider means being the pro-visionary for the family. The one who helps those in the family strive towards their dreams, that enables with the providing a pro-vision strength to move ahead. This last weekend, uh, 
many of you were, were, were out in the community and uh, God was using you in incredible ways. We, we may n- never know the full story there until we get to heaven. But well, th- this last weekend, there's one story I've got to, uh, just got to tell uh, of God's obvious intervention. Um, a single man in our congregation uh, uh, had a heart to reach out to these single moms. He was recently divorced. He knew what the stress of that was like. He couldn't imagine what it would be uh, to be a parent having to take care of kids and somehow pull that off as a single person. He wanted to help, but he didn't know where to help. He signed up on a team and ended up doing some things he didn't feel hardly qualified to do. I think it was plumbing work and putting a sink back into place and all that kind of stuff. And he came to Miss Terry and he said, why am I on this team? I barely know what I'm doing here. You know, why? Don't tell anybody that. But why? You know, why would God have me on this team? I just don't get it. I mean, I'm not a great plumber. I I, I didn't feel like I was that handy or or, or that helpful. but he noticed that as he met this family and this this mother was with several daughters in the house, how how uh, uh, how careful how safe she had tried to make the house and he he come to came to understand that part of that was that this single mom couldn't afford a phone see so for her and her family where she lives even if something were to happen she's not likely to be able to call out for help and it just broke his heart you know miss terry i don't understand why i went over there to fix a sink this lady needs a phone and as she said his eyes just went She later found out that he had just realized that in his divorce he had two phones. A contract that he had to complete. A phone sitting at home that was not in use. Why would God send him to that house? Isn't that just like God? She she now has a phone. And he now knows the joy. Of being God's agent wherever he sends us. Part of being a Barnabas is, is, is being generous. And, and because not only did, did he see the opportunity to give, but the single mom on the other end of that transaction saw God, not just him and his generosity, but God using him as the agent to answer her prayers, you see. She wasn't just encouraged by him. She was encouraged that God was responding, seeing her need. Sending this guy with a phone to fix her sink. Wow. (laughs) Fix her sink, yeah. Barnabases are are generous, but they're also gracious. They're the peewee Reese's that come alongside to help. They, they, They give us a second chance. They believe in us. Really, when the decision is still out, when the uh, proof is not yet in, when we're still in that no man's land of wanting to be who God calls us to be, but still burdened by who we've been. You know what it is to be in that place? Uh, Of struggling in your own sanctification, of, of trying to go forward into recovery rather than falling back into another slip. There's a place, a battle between the old us and the new us. Between recycling hurts and habits and hang-ups or being restored from them to who we could be if we walk even more fully with God. We need encouragers at that moment, people who come alongside to help, people who believe in us while the, the, the jury is still out on whether or not we'll make it. 
Barnabas was that for Saul. But it was so much who he was, he wasn't just that for Saul, he was also that for John Mark. Do you remember John Mark? He, he went on with some of the first missionary journeys that are yet to be told in this story. Saul, now Paul, goes out on a missionary journey with Barnabas, his number one encourager. And the, the two of them set off for the Mediterranean world to try to start churches and to spread the gospel from Antioch. And as they go, they take with them, as Barnabas always did, he always asked the who question. Who can be going with me? Who can come alongside of me? Who who might the Lord be pouring into next? And it was this young guy, John Mark. They go out on the missionary journey about a halfway there. John Mark gets homesick, gets sick, sick. We don't know, but for some reason he turns back. There's enough of this, you know. Uh, He goes back home. Well, the second missionary journey comes about. Paul now turns to Barnabas and says, Hey, let's go back and encourage all those people that we helped get started. And let's go back and encourage them now. And and, uh, Barnabas says, Great, I'll get John Mark. And Saul goes, "Uh -uh -uh." (laughs) Uh-uh-uh. You mean that runt that ran out on us the first time around? I think not. And I would have loved for AD to pick up that conversation. You know? Seriously? Saul? Mr. Second Chance? You don't have a second chance for someone else? But sometimes our personalities get a little off like that, don't they? Sometimes it's the person that is messed up before that is the least to give grace to the next person. I, I don't know why that is. How we get that, it it seems so obvious at the moment that that is completely incongruent to what ought to be happening. But sometimes it's our own way of not having to look at our stuff again to point an accusing finger at someone else. I don't don't know what it is about that. Why, Why couldn't Saul in that moment come alongside this struggling, this fellow with a history? You think he would have identified with him, but he didn't. But Barnabas did. And Barnabas took John Mark along with him. Not only did he take him with him, but at some point, Saul, Paul, changed his mind about John Mark. You'll find in the end of one of his letters to Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy to come to him before winter. He's in prison and he needs some things. He's asking him to come and care for him because he's in dire straits. And he says, all these people have abandoned me, but be sure when you come, not only to bring the parchments and not only to bring my winter coat, but also to bring John Mark, for he is useful to me for service. I wonder if that would have ever been the case. If Barnabas hadn't come alongside, and you know, I love Barnabas. They take a risk. You know, oftentimes we think of gracious as, you know, the kind of things the ballerinas do. Maybe it's a little feminine. Gracious is gutsy. Grace says, I believe in you if the whole world turns against you. I don't care who's jeering in the stands. I stand with you. And when you have someone who comes alongside you at that difficult moment where you would have otherwise quit, where you could have believed everything that everyone else was saying about you, surely their voice was a majority. But someone comes alongside you and says, no, you are a new creature in Jesus Christ. You are going on to better things. You may not from here act perfectly, but you are going to be progressively His. And I'm going to stay with you on this journey. No matter how many times you fall, we will get up together and we will keep going. That, my friend, is a Barnabas. And that's what Barnabas was. Had he not been that for John Mark, 
John Mark would have probably relapsed into his timidity, into his fearfulness. John Mark might have never been of useful service, but as it is, we have the gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Mark, written by that very same John Mark. Many believe it was the first gospel, the first written, circulating story of the life of Christ. If Barnabas hadn't been there for Mark, how many others would have missed out on the miracle of the gospel? Barnabases are, are generous, they're gracious, but they're go-getters. And I don't mean that in the, in, in the, in the sense of achievement. You know, you talk about people, oh, he's a real go-getter. You know, you know just kind of overachiever types. I mean, he, he was a go-getter of people. So often in church, we just make an announcement. Hey, if if uh, if you're interested in serving in BBS, you know, kind of let the children's minister know. You know, not Barnabas's. Barnabas's go get somebody. They, they see something in someone else that can be used for God's glory, and they make that connection, and they believe in the possibility before the person who's going to serve has even thought about it. They, they, they awaken them to that possibility. You know, I've seen in you the way that you love other people, the way you're attentive to others, and it's a person like you that we're needing in vacation Bible school this week. I know you may have never done this before, but I could see you and God just doing great things for these kids. How, about, how do you feel about third and fourth graders? Now that's a Barnabas. They believe in you. They'll come get you. And when someone believes in you like that, you may have never thought about third and fourth graders since you were in third and fourth grade, but, but they'll awaken you to possibilities, godly possibilities that maybe you never thought possible. Barnabases can be game changers. Generous, Gracious, with grit, they're go-getters, but finally, folks, they're game-changers. All those incredible names in church history, uh, Saul and and Peter and uh, John, all, all in that scene, but maybe the one that made the biggest difference of all was the one that leveraged all of their influence for even greater good, and that was their encouraging partner, Barnabas. Wow, what an impact. He had more impact indirectly than most lives will ever have directly. He was a game changer. And when you, my friends, are encouragers, you can be game changers too. Who could you call from the sidelines back into service? By encouraging them. Who who could you help fulfill the dream that God has for them? By saying, I'll come alongside and help. How many ways this week could we find ourselves... Being incarnate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit to come alongside someone else and strengthen them. It's not just for those of us with gifts. I think it's for any of us with the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. We can become encouragers of others. Many noted the absolute transformation of a place that people said could never change. It was Sing Sing Prison. Many credited 
without a whole lot of knowledge, the transformation of that place, a horrible place with some of the most uh, notorious criminals of the time, to the warden that came in 1921 and remained there until 1941. His last name, strangely enough, was Laws. But it wasn't he who changed Sing Sing prison. It was his lesser-known wife, Catherine. She was a Barnabas. Sing Sing prison, murderers, gangsters, the worst of the worst. People warned her, don't ever go in that prison. But she not only went in that prison, she took her three little children along with her into that prison. To the first prison basketball tournament. She sat in the stands. She cheered them on. Men were shocked. How is it that this woman trusts us even with her kids in this place? Is she crazy? But it didn't stop there. She cared about them. She, she got to know them. She really did come alongside them. She discovered one of those inmates was a murderer. He was also blind. She asked him if he could read. He said, what do you mean can I read? I'm, I, I'm blind. She then went and learned Braille herself. Brought him a book. Put it before him. Traced his hands over the bumps on the page. And said, you're going to learn to read now. She taught that blind inmate how to read. He let her wept in thankfulness for the world that she opened to him. There was another inmate who was was deaf. She learned sign language. Taught sign language to him and taught sign language to his friends so that that deaf world that separates people from one another could be bridged. It was things like that. Over and over again. Realizing someone needed a Barnabas and being willing to be that person in that person's life. Person by person, relationship by relationship, sing, sing, prison started to change. But nobody knew how much it had changed. Until the day that Catherine Laws was unexpectedly taken from this life in a car accident. News spread quickly through the prison. The warden that morning as he pulled out of the penitentiary at Sing Sing to go three quarters of a mile down to the house where his wife now lay and awake. You know that old tradition of... of the body being there and people coming by to pay their respects. That was what was happening and... As he drove by the front gate, he looked, and the whole prison yard was full of inmates. Every one of them pressed up against the gate and pressed up against the the, the fence. It was completely quiet, but for the sound of grown men sobbing. Very little was said. The warden simply said, all right, men. You can go. Just be back by check-in. And many said unadvisedly, that day, the gates of Sing Sing Prison swung wide open to every inmate inside. But the greatest miracle was 
that after all those men had walked three quarters of a mile, stood patiently in line to pay their respects to Catherine Laws, that that night at check-in, every single inmate was accounted for. Barnabas's changed the world. And they changed the world because the very spirit of our God works through them. The comforter, the paraclete, does his ministry through those of us who take the time, who see the potential, who come alongside and are willing to be a Barnabas to someone else. This day, I say to you, church, continue to be a Barnabas. Who do you know right now in your life? Who do you know that needs a Barnabas? Their circumstances are uncertain. They could go down or they could go up. They could fall apart or they could move forward. Do you know someone in that place right now? Can you think of someone? Does someone come to mind? How can you be a Barnabas to them? Could you be generous? Could you be gracious? Could you be someone who goes and gets for them that other person in their life that they need to meet that need, to help them through that difficulty, that, that partner in overcoming? Can you be a Barnabas? If you can say yes to that question, not just with your lips, but with your life, this world will change around you. The very Spirit of God lives in you. Let the world know it by how you encourage them. Be a Barnabas. Would you stand with me? Lord God, today we, we see you and Catherine Law and Joseph of Cyprus. and We've seen you and one another this last weekend as encouragers went out to stand alongside our friends in the community and our friends within the church. And God, today we just glory that in all of that, the one we really see is you. And so right now, Lord God, if we, if we don't have you not just with us, but within us, if we've yet to make you Lord and Savior of our lives, Father, would you hear our prayer right now that we ask you to let us accept your acceptance of us, to make you, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of our lives, fill us, flow in us, Encourage us that we might be encouragers. And Father, we thank you for your spirit already deposited within us. As Paul said to Timothy, we ask that you fan aflame that gift within us. Make us encouragers to one another. Help us to take a step towards that person we just thought of who needs a Barnabas. Show us how we can be that person and Help us encourage one another to follow through. Holy Spirit, come in this very moment as we sing this final song. Fill us. Galvanize us in your purposes that we might be your Barnabases. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. If this morning you want to receive Christ for yourself, if you want the Holy Spirit to live within you in the way we've described, we invite you to this altar. Make that public profession.
all in this room will join you in your prayer. Holy Spirit, fill us anew. Amen? You come if that's your decision as we sing. It starts at his feet, and then we become his feet wherever we go. Are you ready for that assignment this week? May the love, the life of Christ so live in you by the power of his spirit that you become an artesian well of satisfaction, of encouragement to all you encounter. He lives within you for that very purpose. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Church, go forth. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend.